Hello, friends, and welcome to the Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juice Box Podcast. These episodes have been remastered for better sound quality by Rob at Wrong Way Recording. When you need it done right, you choose Wrong Way. WrongWayRecording.com Initially imagined by me as a 10-part series, the Diabetes Pro Tip Series has grown to 26 episodes. These episodes now exist in your audio player between episode 1000 and episode 1025. They are also available online at DiabetesProTip.com and JuiceBoxPodcast.com. This series features myself and Jennifer Smith. Jenny is a CDE and a Type 1 for over 35 years. This series was my attempt to bring together the management ideas found within the podcast in a way that would make it digestible and revisitable. It has been so incredibly popular that these 26 episodes are responsible for well over a half of a million downloads within the Juicebox podcast. While you're listening, please remember that nothing you hear on the Juicebox podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Always consult a physician before making any changes to your healthcare plan or becoming bold with insulin. This episode of the Juice Box Podcast is sponsored by Ascensia Diabetes, makers of the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter. And they have an amazing offer for you. Right now, at my link only, contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter, you can get an absolutely free Contour Next Gen starter kit. That's contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. The Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juicebox Podcast is sponsored by Touched by Type 1. See all of the good work they're doing for people living with type 1 diabetes at touchedbytype1.org and on their Instagram and Facebook pages. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, Gvoke Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. If you're living with diabetes or are the caregiver of someone who is, and you're looking for an online community of supportive people who understand, check out the Juicebox Podcast private Facebook group, Juicebox Podcast Type 1 Diabetes. There are over 41,000 active members, and we add 300 new members every week. There is a conversation happening right now that would interest you, inform you, or give you the opportunity to share something that you've learned. Juice Box Podcast, Type 1 Diabetes on Facebook, and it's not just for Type 1s. Any kind of diabetes, any way you're connected to it, you are invited to join this absolutely free and welcoming community. We are back talking about insulin pumps today. Awesome. And the idea of pumping in general, not any specific pump, although we might go over the ones that are available um, at the moment. So we discussed in the MDI episode that it's tough to get an insulin pump right away. You'd have to be, have great in insurance. You'd have to be able to get over the, what do we want to call them? Roadblocks that some endo offices put up to you getting, um, right. getting an insulin pump. But, it, but congratulations if you've gotten that far and you're thinking about getting an insulin pump. <laughs> Why do you think, well, do you think, let me ask you, do you think pumping has advantages over MDI? And if so, what are they? Yes. Um, I mean, a broad, a broad statement, yes, there are advantages. I think there are pros and cons to everything. Um, but there are a lot of pros. I think one of the biggest ones is precision in dosing. I mean, you know, from the standpoint of injections, we can dose accurately and I quote accurately, <laughs> to the half unit with an injection, right? Um, I mean, I've even got a couple of friends who still do MDI, mm -hmm. um, don't like pumping, and and they've sort of figured out how to get that quarter unit in an injection, but is that accurate? No, it's not like the pumped accuracy. You know, pumps can, pump can, pump can get down to the 0 0.0, five or the 0 0.025 of a unit, that's, that's precise. Right. That's minuscule, you know, and for, um, 
the broad spectrum of people that need insulin in different doses, the very, very little to the adult who is very, very sensitive for whatever reason, that can be important. So. Okay. And I agree. I think that when, especially when they're younger, I've, I've used, I've had moments with Arden where it's a 0.1 or a 0.2 bolus that, that can really move somebody. And, and the, you know, the, obviously the lower your body weight, the more that kind of precision makes incredible differences. I guess the con to that can be if you are so small, it's possible that it might be difficult to set your basal rates up because if your basal needs are that little in the beginning, you can do that. I've seen people do all kinds of crazy stuff, like set a basal rate on for one hour, off for the next off one, next. back, back yeah. and forth. And that's the, there's a way to get through that. I think if you have a smaller child and you want to pump, there's a way to accomplish it. There is. Yeah. Absolutely. So precision, definitely. And then, you know, I the icebergs that kind of pop up in your day, mm-hmm. um, you know, you, I know your strategy and a lot of people's strategy is kind of um, the navigation of blood sugar, right? Yeah. And utilizing the smart tools on an insulin pump, smart being things like the extended bolus and the temporary basal feature, you cannot do that with an injection. Right. You just can't. And that is that's another huge pro to okay. a pump. Yeah. I, I I I can't say I agree anymore. I'm I'm in full agreement. I didn't understand at all about pumping when Arden was injecting, right? There were just a lot mm-hmm. of words I didn't understand. People would talk about bolusing and all that. And You're I was like, like what's, what's that? A, what's an insulin to carb <laughs> ratio? I have no idea. Um, I know a little bit from injecting, but it was so much more specific talking about it with pumping. I had its own right. language. And I've mentioned before that as we were in Arden's pump class at, at her children's hospital, and I recognized that insulin was going to be used, like fast-acting insulin was going to be used as basal insulin, Yep. and that I could turn it off and turn it back on and increase it and decrease it. I'm telling you, angels it was singing, like a light, bulb, wasn't light bulbs it? were going off, like everything happened. I was like, well, okay, immediately, yes, please. Um, I genuinely think that before you have a pump, and for a lot of people after you have it, people just believe the pump is a way to avoid injecting. And um, I want to, I want to, as we do the overview about insulin pumping today, I want to show them that it's just so much more than that. So it is. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think another piece to definitely clear up, um, even for anybody who might be listening to these that doesn't necessarily interact or is a caregiver for somebody with diabetes, but they've come across it because they just want information. Mm -hmm. A pump is not the magic do it all. You don't plug it in and it takes care of everything. That is is not the case. And for those who might be newly diagnosed and are hearing, oh, a pump is like the magic thing. It does all these wonders. It does what you tell it to do. And it does it based on the parameters you set within the pump. Yeah. There's it's it's personal input is what makes the pump as beneficial as it can be. So you can then see that if you don't know what you're doing, <laughs> it could be not the not the best thing. <laughs> a lot of, sometimes you hear people say, I've had this pump for a month and I'm thinking of going back because I think they it's had that, doing what I need. Yeah. And I think they had that expectation. Like, look, I bought the pump. I put it on. Why did my A1C not go down? How come my spikes right. aren't going away? Why is my blood? Right. And in some cases, people's blood sugars get worse in the, in the, in the beginning because they don't get their basal set up correctly. Right. Or, yep. or I think for some people, your insulin needs change sometimes greater or lesser when you go from injecting to pumping. Because of the precision, especially of that basal, sometimes with the imprecision of an injected basal insulin and the fact that it isn't based on your physiologic need and the change through the course of the day, that basal insulin could be off via injection at a time when you need less insulin. And so things look like they're happening around a bolus when it really isn't the bolus's problem. It's the basal. So getting that basal set is huge. It's like the foundation of a house. And the opposite as well, too. Not instead of the bolus's problem, you can't you can't give the bolus credit sometimes. Sometimes you have a lower stable blood sugar that you think you made this great bolus off of. Bolus. (laughs) 
<laughs> but but your Levomir or your Lantus, you, you have too much of it or it's just right. it's working stronger at that point or something like that. Yes. So when you switch to a pump and you go to these more precise basal rates using a fast acting insulin in the background, it, it, then if you don't have that correct at, at that number, you don't you no longer have that sort of like I don't know what to call it. Like when you inject basal insulin, it's just sort of a. Is it a catch-all? Is it a, is it, it's a blanket of insulin that you may it's or may bl- not, yeah, you know That's what I mean? a good way to think about it. It's right. kind of a blanket of insulin, but it's not a blanket that's always warm and cozy at the right places through the course of the day. Right. I mean, I, my example is before I started pumping, um, I was using Lantus, was my basal insulin, and I took it in the evening. If I did not have a snack when I went to bed after taking it, I could have bet a million dollars that I didn't have that I would have a low blood sugar between 2 and 3 a.m. And that's because your new basal insulin starts coming online and it works. And and, it worked the way that it did. I needed less insulin at that time, but Lantus didn't know that. Lantus was like, hey, you put me in here. I'm (laughs) going to get absorbed this way and this (laughs) I'm going to do my thing that I was supposed to be doing, right? right? So I needed it that dose for the rest of the day. Right. But I didn't need that dose for that action time of the morning. So that's our first kind of lesson here with pumping. When you get an insulin pump, your basal rates need to be dialed in. And there's two things about that. The first thing is, and this, of course, is not true for everybody, but I do meet a lot of people whose doctors underwhelm them with basal insulin when they put them on a pump I, because they don't want to cause a low. They don't necessarily tell you that going out of the office or you don't expect it. And so you get hot, you get home, you're high all the time, and it doesn't ever occur to people that it's basal. So right. get on a pump, get the basal right. I think the next thing is – Well, and one comment about that as adjustment factor, um, and you mentioned it before, insulin needs may change going on a pump. Mm-hmm. We usually find, give or take – We usually find that when you start on a pump, your basal injected insulin dose in the pump will need to be about 10, sometimes 20% less than what you were injecting in your basal dose. So let's say your basal insulin is giving you 20 units a day via Lantus or Levomir or, you know, to JO or whatever it might be. Right. Um, 10% less than that is two units less. Okay. So- we would actually dose your basal in the pump on 18 units across that 24 hours versus 20 units mm-hmm. because it's it seems to be that the body responds better to that one type of insulin or rapid and coming in at one precise point in the body all the time rather than being injected like all over the place. So, so then it can really be either then. You can, yeah. you can get your pump set up with basal insulin and find yourself high all the time and realize your basal is not enough. Or, or too low. Or, or you have to come in. So that is why doctors start that way because I guess moreover, the likelihood is you'll need less. But for the people right. who that's not true for, it's the situation I described. Right. So what we're really saying is you're not going to know until you know. But, but figure it out. Get it in there and figure it out. I also want to know what you think about multiple basal rates in the beginning because it, in my mind, I think you set one up and then you start adjusting off of that yes. one. Right. Agreed. Absolutely. Even when I started pumping, you know, um, as an adult, once there were finally pumps like Omnipod, because I wasn't about tubing, <laughs> I wanted that pod. Um, but when I started doing that, you know, I I actually did. I, I started on one solid basal rate and I was already an educator, so I knew about pumps. Right. I just you know, um, but yeah, you have to test, you have to evaluate and see what does that one solid basil, where do I need it to be less? Where do I need it to be more Right. for how long? Yep. I think we're going to talk about the adjustments in it, in our own little piece of this. So, okay. So let's, we'll move on now to, uh, to the idea of bolusing. So I want everyone to understand that the doctor, your doctor is going, your pump trainer, whoever you talk to is going to do their best based off of what they know about you to set up an insulin to carb ratio in the pump. But it is incredibly important to know that that is a number that is not completely made up, but it is a guess on some level. And so if you're putting insulin in for a bolus and you just, you say to yourself, man, I counted these carbs hundred percent correctly. And it's telling me three units. But I used to eat this food on injections, and I had to inject 
four units or two units, or it was different in some way. I just think it's incredibly important to remember that your doctor just did the best they could putting that in there. And and this becomes where this is sort of the next step of how people get confused starting pumping because things don't go the way they expect and they never diagnose the idea that it's the, it's the insulin. And I mean, this series is obviously, it's all about timing and amount, right? You're using the right Mm -hmm. amount at the right time. Their minds, I think Siri just heard me say something. Sorry, Siri. It wasn't for you, baby. (laughs) It says, Hey Siri, it's obviously, it's all about timing and amount. (laughs) How did that happen? (laughs) Shut up, Siri. Um, Sorry. Uh, uh, my, my point is, is that your, our brains somehow focus on the idea of the pump specifically and not, and we forget about the insulin. So I got on a pump and something didn't go the way I wanted. There's something wrong with the pump. That's right. the leap you make. It's the, it's, it's very likely the insulin. So it, you, you can't jump over the obvious answers to get to the other ones. Then, then we run into the problem that people don't want to make insulin adjustments in their pumps in the beginning. So for all of you listening who are about to start pumping or are new to pumping and you're seeing something in your heart you know isn't right, I I would implore you not to sit around for three months waiting for your next endo appointment. Right. Uh, Okay. So if you're not – if your blood sugar is high, you probably have not enough insulin. It's possible that, you know, you haven't timed it right. But – there's safe ways to make small adjustments to your insulin on your own. Right. And, and absolutely. And so would you talk to me about how you would, how, how would, if someone called you and said, Hey, I don't know what to do. And you, you looked at their graph and said, I think your basal insulin needs to be turned up or turned down. What percentage do you tell them to, to move at? The remastered diabetes pro tip series is sponsored by Ascensia diabetes makers of the Contour Next Gen Blood Glucose Meter, and they have a unique offer just for listeners of the Juice Box Podcast. If you're new to Contour, you can get a free Contour Next Gen Starter Kit by visiting this special link, contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. When you use my link, you're going to get the same accurate meter that my daughter carries, contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. Head there right now and get yourself the starter kit. This free kit includes the Contour Next Gen Meter, 10 test strips, 10 lancets, a lancing device, control solution, and a carry case. But most importantly, it includes an incredibly accurate and easy to use blood glucose meter. This Contour Meter has a bright light for nighttime viewing, an easy to read screen. It fits well in your hand and features second chance sampling which can help you to avoid wasting strips. Every one of you has a blood glucose meter. You deserve an accurate one. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter to get your absolutely free Contour Next Gen starter kit sent right to your door. When it's time to get more strips, you can use my link and save time and money buying your Contour Next products from the convenience of your home. It's completely possible that you will pay less out-of-pocket in cash for your contour strips than you're paying now through your insurance. Contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. Go get yourself a free starter kit. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. Touched by Type 1 has a wide array of resources and programs for people living with Type 1 diabetes. When you visit touchedbytype1.org, go up to the top of the page where it says Programs. There, you're going to see all of the terrific things that Touched by Type 1 is doing. And I mean, it's a lot. Type 1 at school, the D-Box program, golfing for diabetes, dancing for diabetes, which is a terrific program. You Just click on that to check that out. Bowl for a Cause, their awareness campaigns, and the annual conference that I've spoken at a number of years in a row. It's just amazing, just like Touched by Type 1. Touchedbytype1.org, or find them on Facebook and Instagram. Links in the show notes. Links at juiceboxpodcast.com to Touched by Type 1 and the other great sponsors that are supporting the remastering of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Touchedbytype1.org. What percentage do you tell them to, to move at? 
it depends on what the overall picture looks like. You know, if there are small, if there are small, less aggressive looking changes to their blood sugars, but it's in a basal only time period, and you can tell that obviously something is wrong, we recommend making adjustments if there's more than a 25 to 30 point shift up or down from a set blood sugar. So let's say if you're testing the overnight, you go to bed at this rock solid, you know, 102 blood sugar, but by, you know, and that's 9 PM, but by 1 AM, your blood sugar is at 201. Mm -hmm. That shouldn't happen on basal insulin. That's, there's something incorrect there. So, you know, with a shift like that, we would bump basal probably by like a 0.1 Okay. in that time period to offset the incoming flux of or incoming need for extra insulin. Mm-hmm. Usually if it's a smaller incremental change to blood sugar, you know, you're going from a blood sugar of 102 to 152, you probably don't need that much of a change. Um, and so maybe more of like the 0.05 in a rate, smaller increments too, the 0.025, which most of the pumps on the market can do, not all of them, but some of them. So that may be something that you play with, especially if you feel like you're pretty sensitive Mm -hmm. to small changes in dosing, then you may want to start smaller and make an adjustment up or down. Right. And so again, this is a good place to point out that the number's not important because we can't tell from one person to another. And I'll give you an amazing anecdote about that. I was with a group of people this past weekend there was a college-age kid there who, in my best guess, was 6'10 and must have weighed 230 pounds. And his basal rate was lower than my daughter's, who is 5'6 and weighs 125 pounds. My daughter is also growing and, you know, gets a period and things like that. So you can't, you can't reach out into the public, in, to back to your doctor, and say, just tell me how much to turn it up. You know, right. like, you have to pick an increment that's not – it's not crazy. It's not dangerous. Obviously, you're not going to take a 0.5 basal and make it a one. You know, you're right. right you'll try 0.6. You know, like if you're if you're a little high, try 0.6. And then if you do it for a few hours and nothing's going on, I mean, try a 0.7. Like, and you know, right. you might get to a point where oh, now I'm a little too low, and then you know, dial it back 0.65, and 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 right. make that decision on your own. Like. Mm-hmm. Think it and certainly communicate with your provider if you want some assistance and saying, hey, you know, even calling your endo office, most often you get connected with a nurse. Mm-hmm. The nurse is then going to relay your message to the endo. You might get a call back, hopefully 24 hours, maybe 48 or, you know, whatever it might be. But at least you're acknowledging, hey, I'm seeing this issue. I'm making my adjustment because I'm the one living with diabetes 24 yeah. seven. I'm just I'm telling you so that if you've got any additional feedback, great. I'd love to hear it. Yeah. But you can't, you definitely can't do what happens to some people where you just freeze. Because I I want you to really consider what we've been talking about, what you've been listening to. Going back to your doctor four times a year and saying, hey, look at 90 days worth of my blood sugars and adjust this and make it correct. Right. It's, it's, It's just, they're not guessing, but they're just doing their best. And their best is limited because they're not with you. And And so I know you're that it's probably happened to you before you sit and you stare at these blood sugars and you think, well, this isn't what I was told, but just remember you're getting this machine and it needs to be dialed in. You just, you have to get it right. You got to get it running right so that you can start enjoying the benefits, which are significant once you get it going. And I will say that I was one of those people who got a pump for my daughter when she was four years old. Oh my God. Over 10 years ago. Oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, (laughs) And I slapped it on her, and then I stepped back, and I looked at her blood sugar, and I looked at her A1C, and I'm like, okay, just start going down. You know, like, here, here it comes. Everybody get back. This, 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 oh my gosh, back then, this 8.9 A1C, it's going to be magically lower. Well, it did go down a little bit, but not a lot. I, it mm-hmm. only went down a little bit because I guess I was able to bumper insulin a little more. That's where we started, right? Well, I guess a little more because back then, if you missed on a bolus, doing it again meant injecting again. And no one never wanted to do that. So you just waited and hoped and crossed your fingers, right? But now I could give a little more and a little more. But in honesty, just adding an insulin pump without understanding it did not bring Arden's A1C down that that far. I think it's kind of like, I mean, the adjustment is kind of like getting wheels aligned on a car. Mm Mm-hmm. 
right? I mean, if you have, if you want to ride this straight line, you have to do these incremental adjustments so that you're right. not consistently like veering off the road. That's right. You got to rotate your tires. You, you need right. to you need to get your your ball bearings all straightened down and everything. That was just the extent of my knowledge of cars, as we've heard. But right. but you want you you know there in j- I joke a little bit. I understand. So people who really understand cars. There's toe and camber. There's these these tiny adjustments that get made to your front wheels that keep your car moving straight. And it's the same situation. Those, again, just like bumping and nudging blood sugars, these are tiny adjustments to get you yep. where you want to be. And the difference between being 190 all day long and 90 all day long could just be 0.1, a half a of unit a of, a, of, a, of a change depending on your size and your weight and your needs, the tiniest amount. And just imagine that, you know, we talk about it all the time. If you if you don't have enough basal insulin going, when you bolus, a lot of your bolus is just replacing the basal you don't have. And so that's and when why, the bolus isn't there, you're yeah. wondering, well, why I didn't even eat at this point today and what's happening yeah. here. Why right? why is this happening now? And so so you need to get these things straightened out. Now, I guess moving on to the idea of bolusing. Now, before when you had your shots, you were counting your carbs, doing your thing, sticking in your pen or your needle and pushing it in there and just hoping, you know, hoping for the best, right? You are now opening yourself up to an entire world of pre-bolusing and, and doing it with different- And what? Pre-bolusing? Pre-bolusing, extended <laughs> boluses, all the things you're pump. you know, well, first of all, pre-bolusing is not a setting. It's just the idea of putting in your insulin- and giving it a head start over the food that you're about to eat, right? But an extended bolus. So we're talking right now, it's 11 a.m. And 40 minutes ago, Arden texted me and said, lunch is soonish. I want you to really hear that. She didn't say, <laughs> she didn't say in it's 10 minutes, teenager. right? Right. She didn't say 20 minutes from now. She said soonish. And I know based off of how this year is going at school, we're going to pre-bolus here. When you have diabetes and use insulin, Low blood sugar can happen when you don't expect it. Gvoke Hypopen is a ready-to-use glucagon option that can treat very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Find out more. Go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. Gvoke shouldn't be used in patients with pheochromocytoma or insulinoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. And I thought about what was in her meal. There's not anything incredibly like simple sugary that's going to spike her right away. And she was 106 when we did this. So she'd been a little resistant towards the end of her period this week. We did a temp basal increase of 40% for an hour and a half. And so that takes Arden's basal rate from 1.4 to whatever 40% more of that is for an hour and a half. And then I did a, an 11 and a half unit bolus. We did 20% of it up front and the balance over an hour. Mm-hmm. So 20 whatever 20% of 11 and a half in uh, 11 and a half units is goes in when she pushes the button. The balance of that goes in incrementally over the next 60 minutes, coming online and getting active along the way. And now it's 40 minutes later and Arden's blood sugar is stable in 90. And she probably started eating 20 minutes ago or so. Mm-hmm. I'm expecting the food to begin to impact her right now. Yeah. Right. Right. And so we got we got momentum on our side for the insulin. We've got her going down. Um, you know, we, we've got that tug of war set up. We've we've given. You know, we we're letting the insulin cheat, and we're going well. Now I'll tell you right now, if 20 minutes from now she starts curling back up, I might. You know, if there's any temp, if there's any extended bolus left, I might cancel it and Give put it, it put it all in at once. Yep. If yep. the extended bolus is over, I'm going to go, ooh, I might have missed a little bit. There's all kinds of different adjustments you can make to change the timing and the amount of the insulin. Mm-hmm. I want you, though, to talk about first about extended boluses, and I want you to talk about it the way I know I can't, which is technically and smartly. <laughs> <laughs> no, you, you. I think you give very good description. I think the biggest thing to understand to begin with, with with an extended bolus is that all pumps can do them. They all term them or call them something a little bit different. And it really just kind of boils down to how you're telling the pump 
to give this this dose for a meal, whether you want it all up front, meaning like you'd give an injection. You get this whole normal amount of insulin deposited under the skin all at one time. That's normal. An extended allows your pump to drip, 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 almost like your basil is dripping all day, but in an in a time period you've defined, whether it's 30 minutes, an hour, three hours, you've told the pump, I want to deliver 11 units over the course of some now and some in an hour time period. That's what we kind of refer to as a dual wave bolus. Dual being you get some normal upfront, meaning a bump right now, like an injection. Mm -hmm. And then the rest of the the meal, like you said, 20-80, right? 20% now is the normal 80% over an hour. So your pump is now saying, okay, I'm going to drip, 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 drip this 80% in. And by the end of an hour, that whole extra 80% will have been dripped in. But its action time then is pushed out because you didn't deliver it all right now. That last pulse of insulin at end of hour one Mm -hmm. still has now an active insulin time for whatever you have set in your pump, three Mm -hmm. hours, four hours, five hours out from that last active pulse. So I think that's the important thing to know about extended boluses. Some people um, first start to think of them as, okay, well, I'm going to get some insulin, but then three hours from now, it's going to give me the rest of my insulin. That's not how extendeds work. They always give some and extend some drip, drip. Or you might want to say, hmm, for this meal, I'm eating a big old plate of broccoli and a chicken breast. There's carb in that broccoli that you do have to count and cover. Is that broccoli going to hit you like white rice? No way. It certainly isn't. So a meal like that, you may say, okay, with these really low glycemic carbs, I'm going to extend the full bolus, something we call a square bolus. You take that meal that's suggested as a bolus and you drip, drip, drip the whole amount of it out over your designated time period. And there are different reasons for all of those. Yes. And you got to figure them out and you can. I was with a person eating low carb this past weekend. Hi, Vicki. Mm-hmm. And we sat down at a restaurant. She had a, a meal that you would expect had almost no carbs in it, but a ton of protein. She sat, she eat, ate, she sat and ate it. We got in the car, drove away. It's now 20 minutes or more past when the food was, and she grabbed her PDM from her Omnipod and gave herself insulin because yes. she does know she needs insulin for that protein. And yep. But she didn't need it. If she would have bolused and sat down or pre-bolused and sat down, she would have gotten incredibly she low. Yeah. Yep. And she, it was amazing to see somebody figure that out. I was, mm-hmm. And I'm going to add what I learned about that to me, like how the protein needs more later. Absolutely. It takes into the, I mean, it takes into the fact that we know these things from a set of rules, but I mean, the classic, your diabetes may vary. Your diabetes bolusing strategy yeah. will vary. Yeah, it will, it not will. may. Yeah. You... It not, not may, it will vary. I mean, I my, my breakfast every morning, I've got a friend who eats the same exact breakfast after talking to me. She was like, wow, that sounds awesome. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I like it. I want to give it a try, blah, blah, blah. So, and so now she loves it. Her bolus strategy for it, similar, but not 100% of what I do. It's different because physiologically, she's different. Yeah. And and so if you've ever heard me speak live somewhere, there'll be a moment where someone in the audience asks the, you know, the question, how much, how long, you know, and I go, I don't know, figure it out. Yeah. Like, you know, and I can't tell you. there are starting places. Right. There are some starting oh, rules sure. to things. Yeah. It's like kind of like, you know, the how much do you adjust the basil up? Oh, point, 0.05, 0. 0.1. It's a starting place. Right. Sure. Give it a try. If it doesn't work. Okay, yeah. next time you adjust different. Right. And I'm more aggressive. Like when I adjust basal rates, I adjust them like 30% of the time because mm-hmm. I'd rather cause a low and then back down from the low to find a level spot than to stay to, high to, for to, several to, days. And to nickel and dime the high, right? Because also, because I feel like you're getting a more accurate depiction of what's happening if you're using more insulin. When you're using less insulin, then there could be resistance going on and maybe. You know, maybe well, you, and the feel to then that you have to correct. And so right. you never really get a true picture of what does the basal adjustment really just do because now I'm high and I want to correct. 
and I'm not going to leave it high. So I don't understand what the basil, I know, I just know it's not enough. And you'll get a look into my parenting style that way too. Whenever my children ask me something, I respond immediately with no. And then we work backwards from no. <laughs> and, and so I sort of do the same thing with the insulin. I slam the insulin and then I work backwards from there to find a level spot. Um, I wanted to say about insulin action time. It's another idea of settings in your pump, right? Mm-hmm. So there's an amount of time that, that you know insulin should work in your body. Like how long from when you put it in to when it stops working. And you'll see people say all different kinds of numbers, you know, for yes. hours. You know, it's different for me here and there. Same insulin. You know, they're using one kind of insulin. Some person will say, well, my action time is four hours. My action time is three hours. Arden uses a Pedra, and her insulin action time in her pump is set at two hours. Hmm. And so I have found that when you bolus Arden, that bolus stops having any effect on her in by two hours. Wow. Most of the time. Some of the time, no. I don't know how to tell you the difference, but most of the time, it's yes. Last night, it was no. Last night, I couldn't get Arden's blood sugar to budge off of 180. It didn't matter what I did. She had an incredibly carborific afternoon. Like I said, she still has her period, and you know she's going along. Now, there's a moment where I'm like pushing and pushing and pushing, and I'm finally like, all right, this is enough. Like This insulin is going to start working eventually. And it did. Later at night, after a hot shower, her blood sugar started coming down, and we had to catch it. And it was hours and hours later. That doesn't make Arden's insulin action time six hours. Right, right. right. That's a specific situation. Most times, insulin I put in now doesn't cause her to get low two hours later. Now, keep in mind, insulin on board is calculated by the insulin action time set up in your pump. Am I right about that? Correct. Can you explain that for us, please? Yes. So insulin on board specifically uses your active insulin time that you have set in your pump. So for Arden, two hours, if she were to get a bolus now for, you know, at, at 11.07 a.m., mm-hmm. two hours from now at 1.07 p.m., the pump would no longer identify active insulin on board from this bolus, which means that if she chose to bolus at 1.15, it's only going to factor in blood sugar and the carbs she tells it she's eating to give a bolus suggestion. However, within active insulin time, let's say, you know, an hour from now, somebody's birthday comes up and they bring a big old, big old treat to school. And she's like, Hey dad, I'm totally going to have, I'm going to eat another 30. I'm going to eat another 30 carbs over, over top of what we just bolus for an hour ago. Exactly. But that was an hour ago. So your pump still assumes, Hey, there's still insulin on board from this bolus that she gave an hour ago. There's this much active insulin left important thing about IOB is that you have to feed the pump information in order for it to consider IOB. Information being blood sugar and carbs, Mm -hmm. if carbs are a piece in the picture here, right? Because if you do not feed the pump a blood sugar, it doesn't know the effect of the insulin on board that's still left. Mm -hmm. And to calculate the next bolus correctly, it sees the insulin on board, but it may not be able to adjust because it doesn't have a pinpoint of glucose value to now say, okay, she was an hour ago at 82. Now she's at 179. That insulin on board that's left is coming into the picture, but the pump also sees a higher blood sugar. So it's going to say, okay, she's high. She wants to eat this much more. This is how I'm going to calculate the bolus despite there being active insulin left. But in a situation where, like, for instance, now Arden's blood sugar is 111, okay? Mm-hmm. And I'm seeing a curve up on her mm-hmm. CGM. But her pump right now, if, if you tested right now, say she didn't have a CGM. She tested right now for that, you know, surprise treat an hour later. And, and it says, oh, your blood sugar is 111. You have all this insulin on board from the meal go ahead and eat that. You don't need insulin for this or you don't need you don't need as much insulin for that. That would be stacking. Now, it would be. Okay. And that's a word that doctors are going to throw at you um, and they're going to mean for it to scare you. 
And, right. and, and maybe, maybe it should in the beginning. I'm not 100% sure. But what they're going to tell you is you can't stack insulin because eventually it's going to, it's going to catch up to you and it's going to make you low. I say to that, yes, if you don't need the insulin. If, right. if you do need the insulin, it's not stacking. It's right. bolusing. Knowing right. the difference is the, is the trick, I guess. It is. To go back to – I'm going to layman's terms a little bit more about insulin on board and action time if I can. So if you decide that your insulin action time is three hours, and by you I mean the doctor sits down and says, this is what it is for most of my kids this age, so I'm going to set it for three hours for you. But your insulin action time is actually less or more then your pump is going to make decisions based off of that number. It doesn't make it right. I want to be clear to everybody. The pump doesn't have a magic sensor that's in you somewhere that knows that it's telling you the right thing. It's making making a static decision from a static number that's not necessarily correct. It's probably a good guess. It -hmm. probably won't hurt. You know, it's going to air you on the side of caution a lot. It's going to keep you from being, you know, from getting low. And I think that's a good, that's a, it's a very good point to bring up because um, what we've actually found, especially in the community of people who are doing the do-it-yourself looping types of pumps, mm-hmm. which is a whole nother broad topic, but I bring it up in this mainly because um, what we've found is that the action time of rapid acting insulin is actually beyond what most people have it set Mm -hmm. in their insulin pump. And the reason that we have it set for less time in an insulin pump is because we inherently do not want to run high blood sugars. And so if we give the pump an active insulin time of three hours, when really that bolus is probably lasting about four hours for us, what it means is that at three hours and one minute after this bolus was delivered, if your blood sugar is still high, your pump now no longer sees any active insulin and it can bolus you more aggressively for the blood sugar that you now want to drive down. Right. Whereas if you had it set for four hours at three hours and one minute, you were like, I'm high. I want a bolus to get this blood sugar down. Your pump's going to be like, "Eh, let's be a little conservative here because you still have this like quarter of that last bolus still working. If you have an Omnipod, your pump is going to be completely self-contained. It will adhere to your body. The insulin will be in there and all the smarts and everything. And you'll use a wireless controller to tell it, hey, I want you to change my basal or put in a bolus or something like that. All other pumps have um, tubing and an infusion set, right? So you'll have an an infusion set that'll put your cannula in, tubing will run to the pump, and that pump will have its insulin in it. You'll need to keep that with you. It'll be clipped to you somewhere, right? And that's a good point to make, too, about the difference. Omnipod, the PDM does not have to be on your person for the pod to continue delivering. That's a big question that a lot of people have. Well, I don't want to carry around this extra thing all the time. You don't have to. Once the pod has been told what to do, it does it. As soon as it beeps and it recognizes the signal, you're done. Actually, you can walk away from – if your insulin starts – in, like say you're putting in 10 units delivering, right? As soon as it starts delivering, you could could run to – you could run across the state and your PDM yes. be in your house and the insulin would keep delivering. Yes. Um, also important to talk about there, about pumping in general, is that to bathe or swim on a tubed pump, you're going to have to disconnect. To For most of them. For most, yes. right? So um, even in you know more aggressive like sports, for instance, like you know, there's a lot of people who disconnect to go play soccer or you know football right. or something like that. With Omnipod, you'll always be wearing it. I think to me that's a huge point that made me want to do it because you always hear people say like, oh, I went to the beach and I got high. I get high at the beach. And I always think back to someone who was on the show. Um, I, got, I think it was um, uh, just a few episodes ago where he said if you put a pencil in your back pocket and then rob a bank, pencils don't cause bank robbery. And, no. and, right, and, and so right. <laughs> the beach doesn't make your blood sugar high. Taking your insulin pump off made your blood sugar high, right? Right, right? like that kind of right. an idea. So just understand that there's different ways to manage with different pumps. I'm not telling you which pump to get. And that's a lifestyle look, right? And that's the biggest thing when I work with people. They're always like, what, what do you think is the best? There isn't a 
best. There's a best for me. Yep. There's a best for you. You need to take a look at, you know, the pros and the cons of all of the pumps. What are the, what's the pump that has the most pros for your life to navigate your lifestyle, your needs, you know, an athlete. I've got a lot of athletes who really prefer Omnipod Mm -hmm. because of the tubeless piece. I've worked with a lot of um, triathletes who they need, I mean, from going from a swim into a bike into a run, they need something that's a seamless management Then they're not having to clip in and pop in and reload and, you know, everything. So there, I think it takes a lot of examination of your lifestyle. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's no, I would, I would jokingly say that, you know, I'm sure you think that I think you should get an Omnipod. And probably if you ask me my (laughs) personal opinion, I would say yes, right? Not just because they advertise on the show, but because Arden's used one for 11 years and it has been nothing but absolutely fantastic for us. But I completely agree with Jenny. You should decide what works best for you. Mm -hmm. You you really have to do that. Um, Not everyone's going to see the same pros and cons as everyone else. And all of the pumps, despite delivery, and mechanism of driving insulin, they all do have some features that are different and may apply better to your lifestyle than another brand. Absolutely. So, so, so again, figure it out for yourself. Do your yep. do your diligence, do right? Do your homework. Yeah. I think the greatest thing about the Omnipod might be is that they offer a demo. They'll send you one to your house and let you try it. Like that's, You can wear it. And the yep. other companies are at a loss. They can't really do that because – of the, the way theirs is set up. Very you know? big and expensive right, to right. send Here, out. Let me just Here's send you demo this thing. and I'll send it back to yeah. us. <laughs> please, please give it back. Um, <laughs> and a um, couple of other ideas. Adhesive, right? So my, I was getting to whether you're using an Omnipod or you're using another one, there's going to be some adhesive of some sort. You know, a simple preparation like we talked about back in the MDI episode. I think I don't over prep art and skin, right? Clean skin. Um Dry without lotion or anything on it, yep. you're good. Put it on. You could see, um, you know, if you have soreness with a pump, right? It shouldn't hurt. No, uh, right. So no, it should not. So be careful. Like if you start, if you have soreness, that you know, I mean, after it first goes on, obviously, um, you know, it's not fun to have a hole poked in you, and you're, that's going to be done by right. any one of these pumps. But an hour later, whatever it is, if it hurts or it's hard to bend your arm, right. sometimes the cannula can hit a nerve. Uh, or a, a muscle, a muscle mm-hmm. like, bumping like, up against yeah. muscle. Mm-hmm. All of these companies will, if you call them up and say, look, I had to put in an infusion set and it hurt so bad I took it out. Can you send me another one? Right. Generally speaking, their their customer service is good. They will. Correct. And that's it's, it's really important because it can affect absorption at the site if you've got a site that isn't, it, that's hurt or, you know, maybe getting infected, or for some reason there's irritation under the site. If that site is bothering you, that's not good. Remove it, pop in a new one. Do something. Yeah, yeah. Do something. Don't sit in pain. And no. and that I think that's important. Um, tubing is something I don't completely understand. I How much tubing do I need? Is it just as much to get me to where I want to store my pump? Correct. It's a, and, and, and that depends, you know, tubing comes in many, many different lengths um, for the tubed pumps being of which there are only two on the, on the market, either Tandem or Medtronic are the tubed pumps that are available now, um, at least here in the States. Um, so the tubing length depends on exactly where you're going to move that pump to and pop it in. If it's in a pocket, you may need short tubing, 18 inches. If you're going, some some of the guys I work with, um, you know, where the shirt stays around their lower leg to keep their shirts tucked in, well, they end up just clipping their pump down their leg and then they can easily lift up their pant leg to bolus during the day. So if that's the case, you probably want 40 plus you know, inches of tubing to cut, depending to how tall spot. you are. Right. You know, um, I mean, if you're Shaq, you probably need like, I don't know how many inches, but yes. And and the tube pumps also, you, when you go to put them on, they have to be primed, which means that you have to fill all of that tubing with insulin um, before you can put it on. The Omnipod self-primes. So yep. you when you and there's no tubing and there's no tubing. There's a tiny yep. little cannula that that obviously goes under your skin and stays there. Yep. So again, there you go. There's pros and yep. cons with all of them. Um, you know, I I hear people say that. Uh, so Omnipod has a fail safe, right? If it gets around too much electric static electricity, and it and it affects the internals of it, it will shut down and ask you to do yes. right to change it. Yep. I've had it happen in eleven years. 
don't know, six or seven times, you know, it's happened. And people go, well, that doesn't happen with a tube pump. And I'll say, well, yeah, and my daughter's also never walked past a, a drawer in the kitchen and gotten her tubing caught on it and, and yanked out her infusion set. Right. That's the tubed pump version of that. To me, like, right. they all have something. If you're looking, they all have something. Right. If mm-hmm. you're looking for perfection, don't, is, ask, don't ask a machine to do anything. Don't right, a- right? Absolutely. And I think, you know, one even that might be going towards the the – tubed pump potential need would be if for some reason the angle of the cannula is a concern or an issue for you, that is one, I would say, potential drawback of Omnipod is that there is only one cannula. It comes on every pod. It's exactly the same cannula and it goes in at exactly the same angle for every single person, which may not, again, your diabetes will vary because your body physiology may be very different. So you may need to choose a pump despite not wanting tubing. You may need to choose a pump that's tubed because you need a different type of cannula or what's called infusion set. You may need something to go in at a 90 degree angle versus is an angled, you know, you may need a steel cannula versus a plastic cannula mm-hmm. for various body reasons. Right. So there are a lot of considerations. Um, yeah, absolutely. So. But don't take, don't you know, keep this in mind, no matter what pump you're thinking about. I know this is going to sound a little dirty, but it's, it ends up being true. Companies have salespeople, salespeople influence doctors, doctors get yeah. stuck prescribing things. The same pump right. over if, and over. If you walk into an office and say, I want an Omnipod, and the guy goes, no, 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 you want one of these. Trust me. You don't need to trust him. You know, you can say that I appreciate your input, but I'd really like to try the Omnipod or vice versa. I don't want an Omnipod. I really would like to try the T-Slim. You, right. can, you, can, you can speak up for yourself. Please, mm-hmm. please do that. Um, absolutely do that. So at, at the very end of this, I want to talk about about something that can't that doesn't happen with injections that could happen with a pump, right? Mm-hmm. So as long as you inject your insulin with your injections, you remember to put in your Atlantis, your Levermere, your Traceba, whatever it is, and you you know remember to put in your insulin for your food or your high blood sugars. You're watching the needle go in your arm. You're pushing the button. You pull it away. You know the insulin's in there. With any insulin pump, the possibility could exist that your cannula could get bent that your tubing could get kinked, that the pump could, I don't know, the batteries could die. Like, like right. if you, you know, Omnipod doesn't have batteries in theirs, but the other ones do. There's mechanical you things that could go wrong. You could leave the house and totally forget that your reservoir only had five units, and for the rest of the day, you actually needed 20 units, and now you have no insulin and you're And you're in trouble, right? Like, you're and in so, trouble. Right, so these are things that could happen. When you travel, we have a radius. In my mind, if I'm more than 30 minutes away from my house for any extended period of time, I bring insulin and another pump with us. Yep. Um, the other day, we drove an hour and a half to something, stayed there all day, had all this extra diabetes supplies with us, didn't need one of them. You, you know, most of the time, you don't need it. But when it happens, it happens. Right. Now- in 11 years, I'm happy to tell this story. In 11 years, we've had one insulin delivery problem with Omnipod. And it wasn't the pump. It was us. We changed a pump, a site, and it you know, it was at a pool, right? So we put it on, and I, she got back in the water. And I think the adhesive didn't have time to adhere, and it loosened up a little bit, and it pulled her cannula out. Through yeah. the course of a day, right, a long July day of swimming, we got home. Her blood sugar was still fine. Now, was it still fine because the cannula was still in? It hadn't worked its way out yet because she was so active during the day. She didn't need as much as I don't know. But what I can tell you is, is that overnight Arden's blood sugar started to skyrocket. And I kept bolusing. And it took me a while to figure out that my boluses weren't doing anything. That's not going to happen to you injecting. Right. And no. so is it, is it, I actually saw a person say the other day, I'm scared to get a pump because of that. And I think if that's why you're scared, I think you're worrying about things you don't need to worry about, but you do mm-hmm. need to be aware of them. Correct. Right. Your tube, tube kinks, something happens. You're not getting insulin delivery. you also don't have any slow acting insulin. And in. so when you lose your pump, you lose your slow and your fast acting. You can go from everything's right on to DKA pretty fast. Quick. Exactly. Absolutely. And that's, it's a really good 
piece, um, you know, to discuss because it's one of the primary things when I work with starting somebody on a pump that we discuss right in the pump training is the risk for DKA or the risk for a pump malfunction. And how do you, how do you navigate that without having such tremendously high blood sugars that then take forever to bring down because you're at such a deficit of insulin, right? I mean, our, our, our recommendations really are with a pump, an odd high blood sugar, or now with the use of a CGM blood sugars that are, like you said, just all of a sudden skyrocketing. And there should be no reason for that skyrocket. Like you didn't go eat the whole dairy queen cake and just not bolus for it. Right. There is something wrong. You bolus from the pump. If that initial bolus doesn't start to make a dent in that glucose within the next 30 to 60 minutes, you change everything out. You change the site, the tubing, the reservoir, the pod, whatever. You might even change the insulin, you know, especially if it's been a day at the beach and your insulin hasn't been kept. Change the insulin out. Really important. I I bail on a pump site as soon Pretty as quick. I as soon as I know to. I I will sometimes if I, if I get a stuck number, but it's not too high, sometimes I'll inject a little bit. And if you inject instead, you go, oh my God, it started moving right away. Maybe I'm going to get off this pump site like a little right. sooner. And that's, you know, to, to just go over a couple of like ideas, you can't keep reusing the same site over and over again. They no. eventually become less effective um, for reasons we talked about in other episodes. You have to understand that when you, when you put in an insulin pump, you've, you've, a needle has poked a hole in you and left behind a piece of plastic in most cases, right? This yep. plastic is a foreign body. It's an irritant. Uh, right? It's an irritant. Mm-hmm. I remember discussing with Aaron Kowalski from the JDRF one time that he thinks one of the like most ignored technologies for people with diabetes that we don't spend enough R&D time on is cannula t- materials. Uh, and how to make them less irritating to the body. Because when your body thinks it's injured, it sends white blood cells to the place it believes there's an injury. And I don't know anything technical, but in my mind's eye, in my mind's eye that draws cartoons of what I think the world looks like and how I understand things, (laughs) there's little white blood cells, sort of like the beginning of Jurassic Park when they show that cartoon to explain dino DNA. In In my mind, I see little white blood cells coming and attaching themselves around that cannula and making my insulin not flow correctly. I know none of that's probably technically correct, but I do know that when a when a place gets irritated like that, that insulin becomes less effective. And there are times you have to bail on a site sooner than you want to. There could be, and it's also a good just around site change itself to be very aware that the potential for that new site to be less absorptive from really what you're talking about there is inflammation. Yep. Anytime you introduce something underneath the skin, you ask your body to become irritated and inflammation is what follows. So at absorption at that site is significantly decreased. Everybody's a little bit different. Some people it's for about an hour. Some people it could last as long as four or six hours, that inflammatory response. It's also, I guess, for those who are using a continuous glucose monitor, you know that two-hour sink-in window? Yeah a big reason for that two-hour sink-in window besides that sensor needing to get wet you've put something to sit underneath your skin your body's got to get used to that and you don't want glucose values coming in from a site that's probably injured right so same with a, a pump you really have to pay attention what do your site changes look like how does your glucose level change around site change times mm-hmm. and is this normal is this a normal flux in glucose or is my gosh, my blood sugar is never 300 after I change a site. Right, right. Therein lies the difference of change it out or figure out how to navigate the site change so you don't have a high blood sugar. And I think it's incredibly important to know that while all this may sound scary, that you'll figure it out very quickly. It's not something that's going to dog you for your entire existence. There's little, um, is the word picadillos? There's small things about everything that you have to you have to figure out along the way. And the only way, just like we talked about with insulin, the only way to figure it out is to do it, let it go the way you didn't expect, you know, suss out what happened and, and fix it next time. But I think just the fact in, you know, this episode, especially talking about these little pieces, Mm -hmm. it's really, really important because these are pieces that are often not talked about from an endo 
education yeah. standpoint. They're not, they're myths. They're things that you've figured out along the way right. and you've talked to other people and you're like, ah, I'm not the crazy man. Mm-hmm. This is what's happening, right? right? Me me too. I mean, I I could have sat and asked my endo about it, but there are things that in interjecting and working with other people and my own self-experience, I'm like, I'm not crazy. Right. This is what mm-hmm. happens and I'm not the only one. Great example um, that when Arden was younger and we changed her pump, she'd get high. Mm-hmm. And people say, oh, that's a thing. That's a pod change high. It only happens with Omnipod and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, you have to bolus more, with, you know, bolus with the old pod before you change the new pod because the new pod won't work and everything. None of that was the truth. You want to know the truth? Arden was incredibly nervous to get her insulin pump changed when she was little. And the adrenaline would hit her and shoot her blood sugar up. And sure. one day, Arden stopped being nervous about having her insulin pump changed. And that all stopped. There was no magic. So people had had imagined this entire story around this. And I started buying into it at first. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, obviously the pump doesn't work right away. And and all this stuff. And by the way, it doesn't it, – that's not an unnecessarily incorrect statement. There, like you just said, new inflammation, there's an injury. You do sometimes need more insulin up front. And I don't disagree with that. But the right. leap she got wasn't the pump change. It was, it the, was adrenaline. It was adrenaline. And yeah. I still, like we talked about earlier, a new pump. I, as soon as I put on a new pump, I double the basal for an hour. Yep. Like right yep. away, just to get it going. But but I started thinking down that it's, again, this cause and effect. It's the pencil in your pocket, right? Like I changed the pump and her blood sugar went up. Obviously, the pump's not delivering insulin anymore. Makes sense. Didn't end up being correct. Right. Uh, right. So just you'll figure it out. Um, and my I experience promise. was coming from a tubed pump to Omnipod. So I had experience with site change from a tubed standpoint onto Omnipod. And I'm glad that I had that because I do experience that site change inflammation. Mm-hmm. And I had experienced it on a tubed pump with the cannula. Right. And so I knew it was likely going to still happen on Omnipod. Yep. So, you know, again, your experience is going to be different from somebody else's. It's a hundred percent right. Oh, good. Oh, did we didn't miss anything? Did we do okay? I think I like what you said at the end. I appreciate it because I wanted this to be a real world conversation, not some like shiny. Oh, you'll get a pump and you'll love it, and it's gonna. And by the way, you will love it. It's and uh, or right. you won't. I don't know who you are. You, you know, I can tell you, it's been an amazing experience for us. I believe wholeheartedly that the Omnipod is one half of the reason that we are able to keep Arden's A1C where it is. Where it is. Absolutely. Absolutely. I and I believe say it in my heart. the population of people that come off of a pump is small. Mm-hmm. But there are people who – I've got a good friend who pumped for years and was like, man, she she had a major issue with her pump. And she was like, nope. I'm, I want to make sure I know I'm getting my insulin. She's been on bolusing. She's gone through pregnancies with bolusing via MDI. It works for her. But again – that's her choice. And most people will stay on their pump. Listen, here's the here's the key. Be happy, be healthy. That's all I care about. It doesn't matter to me what you do. Just uh, uh, m- no differently than the way I talk about using insulin. I talk about pumps and glucose monitors the exact same way. I want you to know how it works. I want you to know what to do when you try it. And once you, once you try it, if you don't want to do it, whatever, man. I don't care. You, you know, like I'm not right. here telling you what to do. I'm here telling you. You shouldn't make decisions based off of bad information. When you have good information, make good decisions, do whatever you want. I want to thank Ascensia Diabetes for sponsoring the Remastered Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Don't forget, you can get a free Contour Next Gen Starter Kit at contournext.com forward slash juice box free meter. While supplies last, U.S. residents only. If you're enjoying the remastered episodes of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series from the Juicebox Podcast, you have Touched by Type 1 to thank. Touchedbytype1.org is a proud sponsor of the remastering of the Diabetes Pro Tip Series. Learn more about them at touchedbytype1.org. A huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. You spell that G-V-O-K-E-G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N 
com forward slash juice box. I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now, listen, there's 26 episodes in this series. You might not know what each of them are. I'm going to tell you now. Episode 1000 is called Newly Diagnosed or Starting Over. Episode 1001, All About MDI. 1002, All About Insulin. 1003 is called Pre-Bolus. Episode 1004, Temp Basal. 1005, Insulin Pumping. 1006, Mastering a CGM. 1007, Bump and Nudge. 1008, The Perfect Bolus. 1009, Variables. 1010, Setting Basal Insulin. 1011, Exercise. 1012, Fat and Protein. 1013, Insulin Injury and Surgery. 1014, Glucagon, and low BGs. In episode 1015, Jenny and I talk about emergency room protocols. In 1016, long-term health. 1017, bump and nudge, part two. In episode 1018, pregnancy. 1019, explaining type one. 1020, glycemic index and load. 1021, postpartum. 1022, weight loss. 1023, honeymoon. 1,024, female hormones, and in episode 1,025, we talk about transitioning from MDI to pumping. Before I go, I'd like to share two reviews with you of the Diabetes Pro Tip series, one from an adult and one from a caregiver. I learned so much from the Pro Tip series when our son was diagnosed last summer. It really helped get me through those first few very tough weeks. It wasn't just your explanations of how it all works, which were way better than anything our diabetes educator told us but something about the way you and Jenny presented everything, even the scary stuff, that reassured me that we could figure out how to deal with this and to teach our son how to deal with it too. Thank you for sharing your knowledge and experience with us. This podcast is a game changer. 25 years as a type 1 diabetic, and only now am I learning some of the basics. Scott brings useful information and presents it in digestible ways. Learning that pre-bolus doesn't just mean bolus before you eat, but means timing your insulin so it is active as the carbs become active, took me already from a decent 6.5A1C down to a 5.6 in the past eight months. I've never met Scott, but after listening to hundreds of episodes and joining him in his Facebook group, I consider him a friend. Listening to this podcast and applying it has been the best thing I have done for my health since diagnosis. I genuinely hope that the Diabetes Pro Tip series is valuable for you and your family. If it is, find me in the private Facebook group and say hello. If you're enjoying the Juice Box podcast, please share it with a friend, a neighbor, your physician, or someone else who you know that might also benefit from the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I'll be back very soon with another episode of the Juice Box podcast. Jenny Smith holds a bachelor's degree in human nutrition and biology from the University of Wisconsin. She is a registered and licensed dietitian, a certified diabetes educator, and a certified trainer on most makes and models of insulin pumps and continuous glucose monitoring systems. She's also had type 1 diabetes for over 35 years, and she works at integrateddiabetes.com. If you're interested in hiring Jenny, you can learn more about her at that link.